Good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we're going to begin worship this morning. And if you're able, please stand and sing along. This first song, you guys probably remember that we do a call and response. So you're going to answer the questions that I'm going to sing to you. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of it? the 
singing this morning. Oh 
everyone will you pray for me first of all I just want to thank you God for the magnificent musicians and singers that we have <laughs> I'm sorry I'm a bit emotional now but just like angels from heaven <laughs> Heavenly Father as we begin this season of repentance and healing you have invited us to reflect upon your our relationships with other people some we view as a source of great joy and others um, that we view as a source of conflict. Help us to turn to your son Jesus for guidance in all of our relationships, to strengthen the bonds of existing friendships, and open our eyes to new relationships with people we have yet to meet. Help us to forgive freely, love humbly, and serve others with a willing spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. When you arrived, you may have picked up a card here, which has a Connect card, which will allow you to share your new contact information if it's changed, or if you're new to the church, to go ahead and give us that information so we can update you with the going-ons of the church here, as well as on the back, a prayer card so you can share whatever needs you or a family member or friend may have in their lives where you'd like our prayer team to lend some prayer. So with that, I'd like to welcome Pastor Steve Murray. Well, thank goodness the, the National Guard has been out so that we can get through this big rain and get here. So, way to go. Uh, those words, uh, all my life he has been faithful. He's been so, so good to me. Uh, when I sing that, I just get choked up uh, because it, it doesn't it move you to think about how God has been so good to you, so faithful to you, um, that he wants to bless you. And so... If the Lord appeared to you this week in a way that you could see, see him or have a very real sense of his presence, and he said, 
I want to bless you. Uh, you've experienced my faithfulness, my goodness. I want to bless you in a way you haven't been blessed before. And you said, wow, Lord. And you're already picking out the model of the car. <laughs> you're already thinking about the vacation home. How are you going to, you know, enjoy it? You're already thinking about, gosh, I haven't been to Europe in so long. Uh, you're going to be thinking of a thousand and one different things. And you, you're so excited, you can't wait. And you say, Lord, what is it? He said, I'm going to allow you to be persecuted. Well, that wasn't coming. I didn't see that on the way. And, and there would be a part of you that would be crushed and shocked. And part of you would maybe, if you're a parent, you'd go back to when your small child gave you some mess of something and explained it to you. And it was, you, you, it was either edible or not. You couldn't tell. But you received it with such joy and grace to, to honor the giver of the gift. Um, but then you say, Lord, that just sounds so upside down. I didn't see that coming. I guess if I was in the midst of persecution, your goodness and faithfulness would feel like relief and release and protection. Have you ever found yourself saying to the Lord, why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you protect my child? Why didn't you save that situation? Why didn't you? We prayed. We, we wanted so badly for it to go right. And um, we, we, we were really disappointed. Uh, these beatitudes we've been looking at uh, each week are a picture of this upside down kingdom. Now it's not really upside down, it's right side up. Just to us it's upside down. Because with our expectations, our assumptions, um, unless it fits those, nothing is right in the world. It's just not right. Uh, and and we, we share that with the people closest to us. You know, If you're married, your spouse's job is to make you happy. And if, if you're not happy, apparently they're not doing their job. Your children were, were brought into this world to make you happy. And if your children are not making you happy, apparently they're just not doing their job. You got signed on for that job. They even called it a job. But you knew in your heart of hearts that their job was to make you happy when you went to work. Uh, and so uh, we see this upside-down kingdom that Jesus wants to right-size for us in these Beatitudes. And so today we're looking at the last Beatitude. I won't review them all for you now. You can go uh, to Matthew chapter 5 and read them again. You can read them in, you know, two minutes. Uh, you can go back and look at the messages and, and reflect on those. But here's the last one. Uh, this is out of Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted... I know there's a, an editing error in here somewhere. Uh, there, there should be a big disclaimer. Blessed are those who will never be persecuted. Blessed are those who dodge the bullet, miss the piano falling out of the building on persecution. Blessed are those who are so righteous that they're beyond and above persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they really did something wrong. Or God turned away for just a minute. Have you ever had those moments as a parent, when you're, again, when your kids were small, and you're on the, walking along, and they're on their bike with the training wheels, and you turn for just a second, and all of a sudden they're going out in the street or down a hill? And... No, but that's not what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You're in the perfect sweet spot of God's will. You could not have been more right with God or yourself or the world. And persecution comes crashing in. 
And we're always looking for an answer, aren't we? I always want an answer. I always want a reason. I, I hate to admit this, uh, and if this, this crackling drives you crazy, I'll get rid of this mic. If I'm driving along, if I'm going from here up to Orange County and the, and, and the traffic slows to a halt and it creeps along for a while, I, I got to tell you, I, I want no one to be injured, but I do want to see an accident. I want to see a reason. I want to know that there's emergency vehicles, they're doing something, you know, the earth fell in, there's a big hole and water's coming out. I want to see some reason, don't you? If I go through something hard, I want to see a reason for it. I want something that would, I can rationalize and justify. Can I swap this out with you? Thank you. Okay. Jay? If you ever wanted to own a Taylor guitar, you should talk to Jay. Uh, though he works at Taylor, he can show you where to go buy one. The rationale, the reason uh, that this is a blessing <laughs> to be persecuted is that, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So if you're looking for the wreckage, you're looking for the, <clears throat> the horrible failing of somebody someplace that's affecting you, you're not going to find it. Because blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of God's righteousness, and perhaps because of ours. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know that the sign of being a follower of Jesus is love, for they shall know you are mine because of your love. Uh, Monday, Thursday, we celebrate that. A uh, new commandment I give you, that you would love one another. This is how people will know. You know and, and then right behind that is, and by the way, they'll also know that you belong to me because you'll be persecuted in my name. And that's why the love part comes first. That's why the love is so essential and important. Well, I guess then it's going to make me better. Not necessarily. It'll probably make me healthier. Mm -mm, probably not. It'll make me, and we'll look again for reasons, no. But you'll be blessed because you belong to him, and you're in his kingdom. Blessed are you, in fact, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It gets worse. I should stop reading now. It just, it goes beyond belief. Uh, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Have you ever read if, um, Hebrews chapter 11? It's called often the Faith Hall of Fame. And it's just one story after another. It's a series of, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this person, and that person. They all, they all went through these incredible travails. Many of them were prophets. And at the end of that chapter, you're thinking, there's got to be some relief in here somewhere. If somebody gave you a beautifully wrapped box and you opened it up and there was manure in it, you'd say, there's a pony somewhere. And you're reading chapter 11 and your heart's breaking because you're thinking, sawn in two. Ugh. And at the end of it, it says, they never got what they were hoping for. Because God wanted you to be with them when he blesses us. You read the end of the Bible, Revelation, under the, under the altar in, in, that, in, in the first part of that letter, there's an altar described, and there's all these martyred people. And they're saying, how long, O oh Lord, how long? When will we be vindicated? And he said, it's coming. You will be. 
So there's a reward in heaven. Not to say that we're living a postponed life. We're living right now. We're going to unpack that today. But in the same way they persecuted the prophets, the people who were handpicked by God to speak for him, who were before you. Uh, in his last meal, uh, that last evening with his disciples, and we see this in John 15, 20, Jesus said, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I guess the obverse would be, if, if they don't listen to you, don't believe you, and don't obey your teaching, you're in good company with Jesus. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. So the first big idea of the morning is this. Persecution. Uh, I want to un- unpack two things. Persecution and righteousness. Because it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So the first big idea is this. Uh, that persecution is intentional, destructive hostility directed at someone because they can. Let that sink in. It's not an incidental, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to persecute you. Was that me persecuting you? I'm so sorry. No. Persecution is intentional, destructive hostility directed at someone because the persecutor can. They can do it. They can get away with it. They know they have cover. And so persecution is organized, sustained, bullying, or a community that goes everywhere from insult to harassment to extortion, intimidation, maybe exclusion, maybe incarceration, up to, up to murder itself. So there's a whole continuum. Every follower of Jesus will face some level of persecution. Probably when you hear the word persecution or being persecuted, you think, that's for people in faraway places, uh, that's for other you know, regimes, that's for true. There's, there's levels of persecution that are so insidiously ugly and horrible that we can look back historically and document them, we can see them in today. <clears throat> and yet, uh, we can see people who are not followers of Jesus being persecuted. Uh, the Huigars are Muslims. Uh, and we can go in every country and find somebody who is being persecuted by someone. So what's so unique and special about being persecuted in the name of Jesus? Uh, Well, it's that, first of all, persecution is endemic to our human condition. Uh, I haven't yet seen the 1619 documentary. I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with some of the elements of it. I've read the literature, but I haven't actually seen that documentary. But I can explain it. I, I have seen the Genesis 3 documentary that we are in rebellion against God. If you want to understand 1619 or 1825 or, you know, those are important dates in in the history of slavery. If you want to see anything that puts the world in context for you, start with Genesis 3. So persecution is endemic. What's completely, again, insidious about persecution for righteousness' sake is that the very thing that will save you is the very thing that you're trying to destroy. You're sawing off the branch you're sitting on. So it's organized, sustained bullying toward a person or community and has a range of things from insult to murder. Its apogee is when a corrupt government uses the legal system to persecute people. The Nazi government made it a law to persecute certain people. And much to the chagrin and embarrassment of the church, the church went along with it. Not everybody in the church 
you know the names Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth and uh, uh, Helmut Thielicke, um, um Simone Weil. You know, there's lots and lots of names. You know the story of the people in Les Chambon, that small French village, a Protestant village, the Huguenot village in, Paris, in, in France. Uh, Andre Trocbe, the pastor, and they lived in this idyllic, bucolic part of France. And uh, they started to see refugees coming into their small village, and they decided we're going to become a city of refuge. Uh, there were there was a number of cities of refuge listed in the Old Testament. If you had a problem and somebody wanted to kill you, you come here, we'll protect you. One of the top documenters of the Holocaust has read zillions of accounts to the point that he, he could just read them. And he, he comes across the story of Les Chambon and Henri Trocmé and those, those dear people. And as he's reading, he, he notices he can't figure out why the page is getting wet. He's looking up, <laughs> and he realizes, I'm crying. I'm a Jewish researcher reading this incredible story of these Gentiles who helped thousands of people and ultimately paid for it. They're being persecuted themselves and, and being destroyed in many ways. But the people who lived to tell the story said, I would have not done anything different. So the apogee is when a corrupt government uses the legal system to persecute people. A morality and law, this would be a whole really fun conversation to have. Let's talk about the basis for morality and law. If something is legal, does it make it moral? Well, we know the answer to that. If you've read Letter from a Birmingham Jail, one of the most brilliant expositions that is ever given, Martin Luther King is in jail in Birmingham, and, he, and people are giving him so much harassment. Black people, white people, people who hate him, people who love him, and they're saying, why are you sitting in jail? And he lays out this exquisite exposition of I'm showing the immorality of the law by suffering the consequences of it. So in that sense, you take the Ten Commandments out of the picture, it's whoever's morality is more powerful. It becomes the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. If you have the reins of power, you rule. So this is, this is where persecution goes. And yet, Jesus says, you are blessed, even though people insult you, harass you, and lie about you. We talked about peacemakers last week, and we went from seeing peacemakers as wimpy, nice people trying to get it right, but being ineffective, to seeing them as warriors, in the best sense of the word. People prevailing for righteousness and goodness and justice, not resorting to violence. Peacemakers may strongly disagree with people, but they don't persecute them. What do they do? They love them. Uh, it was, somebody said to Lincoln, you know, uh, your enemies are going to destroy you. You need to, you need to, you need to destroy them. He said, I am. And the guy said, good. How are you going to do it? I'm making them my friends. I'm pulling them close. So righteousness then, if that's persecution, righteousness is God's kingdom values reflected in our character, words, and deeds. It's God's kingdom values, God's personhood, but we talk about the values of the kingdom of God being revealed in a community of people. This is why the pressure on the church is not to be perfect. It's to be authentic. When we don't get it right, we say, we didn't get that right. Forgive me. We don't have false guilt because there's a lot of projections people put on the church. You should do this. If the culture is changing, you should change with the culture. And some people have been moved, tempted to say, on behalf of the church, are bad. Yeah, we'll change the way we think about things because the culture demands it. And it's a false guilt 
and therefore it's a false testimony. Now you're being a false prophet. You're telling people something they want to hear, and the Bible tells us there will come a time, and there's always been a time, but it gets intenser, more intense, I guess is more perfect if you're an educator. Um, when people will want their ears tickled, they just want to hear what they want to hear. That doesn't mean we, we stand up and harangue people from the pulpit. What it means is, uh, somebody has said, that the church is a, is a safe place for a dangerous message. We tell the truth in love. And we want to talk about God's kingdom values through our character, our words, and our deeds as a community. And when we don't get it right, we own it. Say, you know what? Our bad. Uh, and, and, and I'll give you two quick examples. For the longest time, the church didn't know what to do with divorce. They said, if we do divorce recovery workshops, it looks like we're advocating or confirming or affirming divorce. And, and finally, people figured out, actually, no. Uh, it's like if you showed up at the emergency room at the hospital, you're advocating violence or accidents. No, you're coming for relief. Uh, it was, the, the, the church was, was kind of stutter-stepping about AIDS and HIV because it looks like we're maybe supporting the people who are, seem to be at the, at the heart of this. And the issue very quickly became, so what? We don't support it. We're helping the people. So the church needs to apologize and repent and lament. At the same time, the church needs to be steadfast in saying, you know, because we're being persecuted isn't a signal that we're supposed to change to accommodate the persecutor. Righteousness is God's kingdom values reflected in character, words, and deeds. Would you rather please God or would you rather please people? When, when Peter and some others were brought, I think Peter and John were, were pulled before uh, that reigning, governing body uh, over Jerusalem, the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, and they said, look, you guys are saying all these things. You need to stop this. And Peter said, much to their chagrin, who should we listen to? You or God. I don't mind standing in front of angry people. It's uncomfortable for sure. I don't want to stand before God. And God won't be angry. He'll just look at me with that disappointed look of, wow. And the song will be rolling through my head. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so good to me. So, so blessing, then, isn't the reward of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessing isn't the reward for righteousness. It's the source it's because we're blessed that we can learn to be righteous. And then righteousness becomes its own reward. There's a sense in which when you give somebody a gift, you're hoping they like it. You're hoping it's something that they would value like you do if you, if you, if you really value the gift. If you thought about it and thought, well, what could I really do to make their day? At the end of the day, you have to say, you know, I did my best to give them the gift that's the only reward. I don't need them to thank me a thousand times. The reward is I get, to, I get to bless them. That's why it's so fun to do secret things for people, good things, that they don't know about. They don't know who to thank. It drives us crazy. It drives me crazy when people do that. But the neat thing about it is what people are trying to say is, I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do. So righteousness is its own reward. Righteousness isn't then the thing that calls forth God's blessing. It's the fruit of God's blessing. That's got to be really clear to you. And that's why persecution and, and, and blessing and righteousness are in the same sentence there. We are blessed, and our righteousness reflects God's work in us 
and then our work for him. As Mother Teresa said, when somebody said, I would never do what you do for a million dollars, and she said, neither would I. So that was the first point about persecution and righteousness. Second is this. Proclaiming Christ blesses people and also provokes pushback from people. Why? It's so inherently good and positive. How could you possibly want to push back on that? Why would you persecute good people? We need more good people. Why would you persecute them? Proclaiming Christ blesses people, certainly. It also provokes pushback from people. Well, Here's an insight into that from the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, his second letter. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, God among us. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Well, that's a lot of verbiage in that sentence. That simply said, we're the recipients of the glory of God, and it reflects from us to other people. We're not the source of it. So when somebody comes to know Christ through you, they don't say, now what should I do today? You say, no, 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 I, I was the messenger, and I've introduced you to Christ. You talk to him directly now. You don't need to go through me. John said it this way, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the pernicious outcome from Genesis chapter 3, our rebellion, active and passively against God. Sin hardens hearts and closes minds to God, yet we still yearn for what He alone can provide. So a person can say, I'm an absolute atheist, unequivocally, forever and ever, amen. And you say, do you ever yearn for a better version of you, a, a better version of life, a better version of this world? Oh yeah, all the time. Ah, how's that working for you? C.S. Lewis said, we yearn for a better world because there is one. But sin hardens our hearts and closes our minds. And we know we aren't perfect, but we're too proud to submit to God. We hide and we avoid. We rationalize, we project, we deny. We're suspicious of claims about God and the motivation of those making them. There's a lot of shysters who are doing things in the name of Jesus. And at some point you think, I've got to be on guard I, I, I don't know who to, who to believe here. Uh, we don't like maybe the tone of the messenger. We don't ha like how they look. If you've ever read the classic, uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, he talks about, uh, you know, screw tape trying to mentor this young demon, Wormwood. And Wormwood comes back and says, hey, while the guy was in church, I, I was giving him thoughts about questioning the message. He goes, you fool, never let him focus on the message. Let him focus on the ugly person in front of him. The annoying person next to him. Distract him. Don't get him concentrating and focusing on our enemy. And who and what can we believe and trust? You know how this is. Uh, there was a guy, he, he was, um, he's deceased now, but he, he was one of the top attorneys in L.A., a big firm. But his, his side gig, his side hustle, but he did it through his firm, 
was helping Christian organizations, whether it was World Vision or Young Life or whatever. He would help so many, so many uh, Christian organizations legally. And somebody one time said to him, hey, John, uh, do, you, do you like working with Christians? He goes, I would love to work with Christians. I just can't afford it. Because he'd been taken advantage of so many times by individuals who led with, hey, brother, I got this thing, and could you help me out? And, and he said, you know, I don't know how to believe. And you know how this is. The people you trust is a small population. And so we're, we're so used now to being scammed online, on the phone, uh, in so many ways. We have a joke around here. Um, there's a joke here among our staff called Fake Steve. It's when the staff gets these, these emails saying, hey, I'm down in Mexico. I'm in, I got an accident. I need you to go to get a bunch of gift cards and send them to me. And this happens on some regular basis. And so I'll get these notes from Mary saying, hey, just heard from Fake Steve. I say, hey, why are you getting the card? Send me some. You know what I mean? It's... But here's the reality. As we move through that clutter and that chaos of human nature, all it is is human nature. We're seeing broken human people trying to scam God. It's just silly, but it happens. But we want to look through that and pass that because we proclaim the good news that Jesus is Messiah, Savior, and Lord because it's true news. It does not come from a chatbot. It comes from a person whose heart has been transformed by the living God. And that gospel calls us to confront and rebuke evil, injustice, dishonesty, abusive power, and idolatry. It commands us to love enemies, visit prisoners, care for widows and orphans, comfort the sick. And the unadorned gospel is transformational. By unadorned, I mean as soon as we start to add things to it, Jesus plus. And every culture wants to do this. Uh, thank God for the missionaries who went from America to all over the world. Especially thank God for those who said, now that I'm in this culture, what's the best way to honor and respect this culture as they tell them about something that they were made for? Versus, as soon as we get these people looking like Europeans and Americans, it's going to be a great place. Again, human nature, well, good intentions. But the unadorned gospel transcends cultures, ideologies, and any and every effort to hijack God's sovereignty. You know you're in the presence of a true missionary when they're telling you about the glory and sovereignty of God and not accruing power and control to themselves. That's, that's what distinguishes a cult from the faith. At some point, uh, your, your identity is stolen right in front of you. Your personhood is compromised and crushed you're a smaller version of you. The gospel makes us bigger versions of us, fuller, more complete versions of who we are. We're free. We can ask any question. We can disagree. We can think out loud. So the earth is the Lord's, and we are in a spiritual war zone. There is no neutral ground. And for all of us who are conflict-averse, and that's all of us, we're in a war zone. Well, I don't like militaristic analogies. Well, too bad. You're in a war zone. Wake up. Smell the coffee. Nobody's telling you, saying you have to be violent, militaristic, or paranoid. We're simply saying there's a battle going on. And if you're not aware of it, you end up being an unaware contributor to it. All it requires for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. You heard that said. 
And so God's word reveals his kingdom, his power, his glory on earth as it, as it is in heaven. And we know that God will prevail. So in the midst of our persecution, whatever level it is, we're saying, you know what? Uh, God is not up in heaven wringing his hands. He's here through his Holy Spirit engaging the world. It's his world. He's redeeming his world. It belongs to him. He will prevail. And I don't have to have some kind of a smug attitude. Well, you know, God's going to prevail. You'll get yours. But rather we say, Lord, I don't like this. You don't like this. But you're in this. And show me how to get through this with you. And so a Christ follower is a living rebuke to Satan. And I wish I had the time to unpack that. Because you might at this point, if you're visiting, think, oh, now they're invoking Satan. Yes. <laughs> right, I am. <laughs> you have an enemy and it's not people. Your enemy is Satan. For our battle is not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. There's a whole spiritual reality going on that we, we can't connect with, but we can be informed about. Connect in the sense of see it. Now, what's funny to me, and this is a neighborhood especially, is when people say, oh, God, that is such a ridiculously juvenile, immature, naive point of view that there's Satan. And the person telling me this says, I believe in string theory. I believe in multiple dimensions and other worlds. And I'm saying, me too. Physics has shown us that what we see is not all that there is. And so the fabulous theories that are coming out of physics, that don't claim to have any spiritual um, authority, but they're saying it's fascinating. If we follow the data, there's, it's a bigger universe than we, we understand. And I'd say, yes, it is. And the Word of God has already told us that. And so we end up being, as Christ followers, living rebukes to Satan, declaring God's uh, allegiance, uh, sovereignty, and, and saying everybody is made to, uh, to honor and glorify God. Paul tells the Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus received pushback for, for proclaiming, teaching, and demonstrating his kingdom. Paul knew persecution, the Apostle Paul, as a persecutor and the one being persecuted, right? He prepared Timothy for it, his protege. He, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's an awesome motivational pitch, isn't it? Well, that's certainly motivating news for me. Punishment will continue until morale improves. And no good deed goes unpunished. And yes, that's true. In a fallen world, that is absolutely, unfortunately true. Uh, good deeds go punished. That's what we're talking about when we talk about persecution for righteousness. Good deeds can be punished. But in God's kingdom, every good deed is its own blessing. So that's the second point. First being that persecution is, is real and it's intentional, it's deliberate. The second is that uh, proclaiming Christ not only blesses people but invites pushback, persecution. The third point is this. Our mission is blessing the world, not saving it. Think, think about that for a second. It might be shocking to you and offensive to say it that way. Our mission is blessing the world, not saving it. Why? Well, that's Jesus' mission. It's his world, and he's redeeming it. It's Jesus who saves the world. We get to participate fully in that mission. And the way we get to do it, the way we've been blessed, is to face any and every situation in him and with him because the kingdom of heaven is our new identity. It's our new base. It's ours in that sense. 
And so we proclaim him. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our friend. He's our mentor. He's our guide. He's our teacher. He's our role model. He's all that. Those are his words telling us that. And so our mission is building relational bridges, earning the right to be heard in our sphere of influence. Earning the right to be heard, that is we're, we're building enough, up enough credibility that people can trust us. You know how hard it is to build trust, and you know how easy it is to lose it. And nobody, atheist, agnostic, follower of Jesus, wants to be scammed. We're all tired of fake news. And what, what often people see in a person who's talking about their faith in Christ is just a living, breathing chatbot. You're functioning off of some algorithm that somebody wrote probably, and uh, maybe you grew up hearing it, and now you're saying it, and you're saying, no, 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 it's not an algorithm. It's a life-changing relationship with the living God. But it takes a while for people to trust you and to, to, for you to have credibility because they've been burned before, or they've seen bizarre people doing bizarre things in the name of Jesus. That's part of Satan's strategy. And so we don't mug people with the gospel. We serve them with it. We bless them with it. Christmas Eve, a guy came up to me. Uh, he's probably 30. And he had his parents with him. He goes, hey, these are my parents. I first came to this church. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a... I'm a, I finished a PhD, and I do research and stuff. I said, that's fantastic. He said, I want to tell you the first time I came here. I said, okay, what was the first time you came here? Because I was a graduate student, and you guys were giving away Christmas trees. And I kind of thought I'd have to listen to a sermon or something. Uh, and you guys said, no, just come over and pick out your tree. He said, I couldn't believe it. Why were you doing that? And he said, somebody just told me, well, it's because it's Christmas. There was no ulterior motive. There's no string attached. It was the simplest thing, right? And uh, there were so many trees. We bought a Christmas farm. We, go to, we bought an Oregon Christmas farm because the prices were so low. It was, it was like 2008, and it was a disaster in the economy. People didn't have Christmas trees. We found out that the farmers in Oregon were going broke, and so we thought, hey, if we, how much does it cost for a tree? 15 bucks. They sell them for 50 bucks. We thought, hey, if we have you and me buy a tree for 50 bucks, we could then get several trees for free, we get to give them away. Well, that's a lot of trees showing up in a truck, on a truck, right? So we called up Miramar and to ask the Marines, hey, do you guys have, do you guys have any um, guys who are strong enough to lift a Christmas tree? Hey man, who are you talking to? Of course we can. Well, would you come over and unpack a truck, a semi with Christmas trees in it? Yeah, we'll be there. So this dude showed up and it looked like this amazing Venice Beach workout moment, you know, and these guys were offloading the trees, and then we had all, all ages and ages of people out there sawing them, trimming them, loading them on the cars, right? Why? We didn't ask for anything. There were no conditions. We were just blessing the community in some tangible way. And what we trust then is God will somehow use that to heal some perceptions of the church, perhaps, to maybe plant some seeds about the church, to have somebody who's a follower of Jesus go to their church and say, hey, is there something like this we could do? What's our version of this? So you see, these relational bridges uh, are super important. And that means we build relational bridges whether a person ever accepts Christ or not. We love people because God loves them, because people count to him. This is our mission. I am horrible at this. 
I put so many conditions in people's way. I have so many attitudes and judgments about people. I, I so want people to play by the rules and do things right when they don't, it ticks me off. And it's, there's nothing worse than seeing a grown man who believes that people should keep the rules and he's breaking them. So this is our power, not mugging people, but serving them and blessing them with the gospel. And you take us out of the world, the world is unlivable. Now that might sound outrageous to you, but just consider for one moment. If you took every follower of Jesus, active follower of Jesus, out of the world, the world would be unlivable. There would still be people trying to get it right. There would still be people trying to do good things. But the people that God is talking about who are blessed because they own the kingdom of God are the only ones who can take persecution. Because greater is the power in them than the power that is in the world. And so that's why we invite others to be his disciple as well. And sometimes what they end up saying to us is this, I saw the way you handled persecution. Where'd you get that superpower? What's your secret sauce? And you go, I have none. I wish I did. <laughs> but all I can say is God somehow got me through that. I want to know about that God. He's often in our most humbled and broken state what Henry Nouwen called wounded healers, that people start to take us seriously and we have real credibility. Oh, you too. Wow, okay. I thought you were coming down from on high. You're just like me. Yeah. And so we don't antagonize people. We don't attack our fellow sinners. We disarm them with love and respect. Uh, we agonize with them in their traumas and heartbreaks with genuine love and care. Uh, we don't feel superior. What do we feel? We feel grateful. Gratitude is the big motivator for us. That's why we're generous people. Not because we're trying to impress or get something. We're just saying, I can't help myself. I'm so thankful. Uh, I want to I go and do likewise, as Jesus said. And so the gospel isn't, I'm right, you're wrong, which is how often our culture and the world hears it. I'm right, you're wrong. The gospel is this. Jesus is Lord, and here's how you can be saved. The gospel isn't even, here's how you can be saved. Try this on to some of your friends who are Christians. You say, you know, I've been thinking about it. The gospel isn't, you can be saved, here's how. Your friends will go crazy. They'll go, oh, no, 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 that, that is the gospel. You go, no, that's not the gospel. You can be saved and here's how is not the gospel. That's Scientology. That's some other ideology. That's a cult. That's a head fake religion that takes parts of this and that and says, serves it up in a way that you think it would be great for you. This is the gospel. Jesus is Lord. You can be saved, and here's how. They have to go together. So how should we live in the face of persecution? Well, with integrity, with hope, with joy in Christ. It's not, it's not gee, I got more stamina, staying power. I'm going to try harder. No. I want to quit. You want to quit every day. If you were being persecuted every day, you'd want to quit every day. Who wouldn't? I'll sign it, I'll say it, whatever, just let me go. Okay, Caesar's Lord, fine. Can I go home now? But we can live with this integrity, hope, and joy in the Lord because nothing can separate us from his love. I can make no guarantees of my faithfulness. His guarantee is I will always be faithful. 
All your life, he has been faithful. All your life, he's been so, so good. So life is short, and there are eternal consequences. Let's make the most of it, right? If life is short, we all know that. And if there are eternal consequences, you get to say to God, your will be done, or he will say to you, your will be done. So we get to be confident in God's abiding presence and his power and his eternal provision that's operative right now. Again, we don't live a postponed life. It's happening right now. The gospel is right now. We're right where you are, right where I am. Well, once they get this together, no, it's right now. Yeah, but once I lose a few pounds or I, I know the Bible better or pick whatever excuse, no, no, it's right now. It's right now. He'll provide for you right now and forever. So let me throw out some, some takeaways for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What sins are weighing heavy on you as you sit here today? What burdens of guilt or shame or frustration? or oh, I can't believe I did that. I wish I could undo that. Are you sitting here with? God does not hold these against you. That's why he took all your sin on the cross with him. It's not to minimize the, the, the effect of the power uh, of sin. It's to say we're magnifying and recognizing, right-sizing the power of God to do something about your sin. He's not counting your sins against him, uh, against you. There will be a judgment, but he wants to hold you next to him, not your sins. He's already taken the sins on the cross. And he has committed then to us this message of reconciliation. And we are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Take advantage of what is yours. Blessed are you because the kingdom of heaven is yours. And as you're making this appeal to others, and God is appealing through you, he, goes, he said to them already, look, we, we don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I'm speaking the truth to you, right? Nobody can come back later and say, hey, I've been reading the Bible. You didn't tell me the truth. You didn't tell me the whole story. We just tell the whole story. It's not ours to resolve. I'm not sure if I believe that. Well, that's up to you, God. And so Peter uh, adds this, be prepared to give a reason for the hope within you and do it with gentleness and respect. And when you feel the sting of persecution, pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed from the cross. You know it. You can hear it in your head. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not taking away their responsibility or the consequences of their behavior, just simply recognizing, Father, forgive them. They have no idea who I am. They have no idea who these people are who have put their hope and trust in me. 
people who persecuted Jesus thought they knew what they were doing. We're fixing a problem. We're solving an issue. We're dealing with things here. Somebody should send us a thank you note for this. That was the attitude. We are righteous right now. But they really had no idea what they were doing or any idea to whom they were doing it. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the good news embedded in that bad news. Many who persecuted Christ and his people eventually became partners with them. How about Paul, formerly Saul, standing there watching Stephen, the first martyr, being stoned to death, and thinking, this is awesome. We should, we should, we should scale this and, and export this. And he takes off to Damascus to continue the, the reign of terror, and he meets Christ along the way. And he goes from being the persecutor to ultimately the persecuted. And he counted it all joy. So let's pray for those who persecute us and invite them to follow Jesus. Let's not grow weary of doing good, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. It's resource rich, fully funded. No default, no bankruptcy, ever. And let's confront persecution with the means available to us. And let's pray for the persecuted church. There's a desperate need to pray for the persecuted church. Uh, you can uh, go online. Uh, if you got the Read, Think, Pray this week, you saw a link to Open Doors. They can give you a statistical review of documented persecution around the world. And that's just the most egregious documented persecution. It doesn't deal with the soft, low-level persecution that might, maybe you bump into along the way. So, Lord Jesus, we do pray for the persecuted church. We pray for those dear brothers and sisters in places where... Uh, the very authorities that were raised up to, to protect them are persecuting them. That there's no relief for them, Lord. And so we pray that you give them staying power, sheer dogged endurance. We pray for us, Lord, that we'd be prepared to not attract persecution, recruit persecution, but we're ready when we see it and experience it. And that, Lord, our response would be like yours. And that we would learn, Lord, to see this as the inevitable outworking of the blessing of belonging to you and your kingdom. And in the midst of this battle that rages around us, Lord, we thank you that you are victorious and you are creating a new heaven and a new earth of which we are the first fruits, the firstborn. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you. I pray for each person here, beloved of you, for whom you died, for whom you've given your Holy Spirit as they've opened their hearts by faith to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would train our minds and strengthen our hands and embolden our hearts as we step out and follow you, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord. And uh, we do that through an offering. And this isn't a giving money offering. We, we ask you to give money, but not during this offering. Uh, you can give it as you leave. Uh, you can uh, send it send it in. This is the offering of you to God. So as, as, the, as you hear the music, as we worship through song, uh, offer yourself to God wherever you are at this point in your journey with Him.
He's been faithful. He's been good. And we get to worship him in response. That's awesome, isn't it? Uh, if we can pray for you before you leave today, go right out around the corner. There's a lovely prayer garden out there, and there'll be people there who will have a brief prayer with you. Uh, you don't even have to tell them what you want prayer for, but if you can articulate it, that's great for yourself, for anybody else, for anything that concerns you. Uh, if you want us to pray in an ongoing way for you or for a situation, uh, fill out that prayer request card. We literally, every week, pray through those. Uh, and then um, we'd love to know the answers. So let us know how God has answered your prayer. If there's anything we can do to help you start your journey with Christ today, you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, you want to start that walk with him, that relationship, we want to talk to you if you let us walk with you. If we can help you grow in that journey, uh, we want to do the same. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your day.